Welcome to the High Prices Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor, Chris Sestar. I'm preaching this series on things pertaining to the end time. I appreciate all the kind comments from last Sunday when we really explored a thought where is America in Bible prophecy? And when Pastor Gabe, our, our media pastor, asked me, he said, what do you want to call this series? I said, I've got a good title, When It's All Said and Done. One of these days, it's going to all be said and done. Now, I heard somebody say one time, more is said than it is done. <laughs> when it's all said and done, it's more said than is done. But I'm talking about one of these days, it's all going to be said and done. But, but right now, it's not. So it's, it's good for us to explore the Word of God and see what is going to happen. Somebody says, what's the point? The point is, it's going to happen. And we need to be ready for when it happens. And, and one of the, the impetus, the motivation for me, if you want me to be honest, is that I am worried the church has got our eyes on this world too much. You've got to watch it. You know, getting married or dating and getting your education and then getting your job, starting your career, climbing the ladder, working your, your financial portfolio, building your kingdom. Hey, look, if you can do it, go for it, big boy. Go for it, big girl. But one of these days, you're going to die. And somebody else is going to get everything you have and they're going to do with it what they want and you can't do a thing about it. talking with a man yesterday and a guy who sort of had it all and we were talking about that and he said but I didn't have Jesus he said I had it all but I didn't have Jesus and he said nothing satisfied y'all wonder when we pull out that old song and sing only Jesus can satisfy your soul only he can cleanse your heart it's true you can own everything have everything be everything but you got to be right because your life is about Jesus. We were created to have a relationship with Jesus. And, and not just now, but for all eternity. So we got to get our hands around this and say, while I'm in this world, I'm not of this world. Okay? While I'm in this world, I'm not of this world. It's okay for me to enjoy this world and eat, drink, enjoy the fruit of my labor. That's what Ecclesiastes says, but also says fear God and keep his commandments. That's the most important thing. So I just want to go down this road today, and today I want to talk about a subject that is fascinating to all of us, and that is the rapture and the resurrection. So I want to begin today by making a bold declaration. You ready? Here it is. We all, we all need to be reminded of this. Jesus Christ is coming again. He's coming again. It's going to happen. For 2,000 years, the saints of the living God, 2,000 years, have looked for his return. If you study church history, you will note that for much of that 2,000 years, the church viewed the coming of the Lord as one-dimensional. Essentially, that he would return to defeat Satan and the Antichrist and the armies of the Antichrist at Armageddon and, and would come up to return to this world to set up his kingdom on this earth, what's often called the parousia in the Greek, that second coming when he comes in glory. And, and so much of the church believe that and there are still some people that believe that today but in recent times in more recent history of the church 
there, has, there is a realization that has come to many of us as we've tried to piece together eschatology, things that deal with the last times. There's a realization that the coming of the Lord is not one-dimensional, but it's two-dimensional. It's binary. And, and so phase two is what I just told you. Part two of his coming is when he returns to defeat the enemy and set up this kingdom, his, his, his thousand-year reign upon this earth. But there is a phase one, and it's what we commonly call the rapture of the church and the resurrection of the saints. Now, I believe that this event will occur before, prior to the Great Tribulation. Those seven years when God pours out his wrath upon this sinful world and restores his economy with national Israel. And you, we gained seven years from reading the book of Daniel. And I can't go into all the minutiae this morning. Our Lord will be here for four hours. But it is commonly understood that the, the, the tribulation period is a seven-year period. And I believe the rapture of the church, the catching of the church, ends uh, or takes place before the great tribulation. Now, there are some people who think that the church will be existing at the time of the tribulation, or, or let's say it this way, the church that does exist at the time of the tribulation will go through the tribulation, and then Jesus returns at the end of the tribulation. It's called the post-tribulation theory or post-trib theory, and then he comes and, and raptures us or takes us, and it's sort of he, he resurrects the dead and snatches us in the air, but he's coming down, and then we turn around after that happens, and then we come right back down with him which is kind of weird, I think. It's very, a very unusual, kind of a weird thing that he resurrects us and takes us in the air, but he says, hey, Lord, we're glad to be with you. Well, come on, we're going back down. So I, but that's not the only reason I don't believe in the post-trib. I believe in the pre-trib for a number of reasons. First of all, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10 is where Paul reminds the Thessalonian Christians that they were waiting for God's, and I quote, God's Son from heaven, waiting for Jesus from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Listen, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Okay, so I, I believe he's rescuing us from that. Now people say, well, we'll go through the tribulation, but the Lord will protect us. You don't read that in the Bible. You, there's more of a removal than a protection. If you read first, you know, First Thessalonians deals a lot with the coming of the Lord, and it deals with both, both phase one and phase two. So, and Second Corinthians, Thessalonians deals with that as well. But First Thessalonians five nine is really strong. It says, "For God did not appoint us to wrath." There you go. The church doesn't have an appointment with a period of God's wrath on this earth. You can't get much plainer than that. Our appointment is to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. To rescue us, to deliver us, to save us from that wrath because it's not for us. It's for a sinful world. A very, very wicked world who's denied him completely. And you know, I look at the scriptures. God did not destroy the world with a flood until he put Noah in the ark. God did not rain down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah until he rescued righteous Lot. So I think there are issues there. God will not, or, or examples there, that God will not pour out his wrath on this world, this Sodom and Gomorrah, until he has called us away to our heavenly home. 
Let me just go from another angle. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 tells me several things. It tells you several things, but I'm going to personalize it. It tells me that I have been justified by faith. Hallelujah. It tells me that I have peace with God. I'm glad I'm not at odds with him. It tells me that I stand in God's grace. It tells me that I live in the hope of experiencing God's glory. That's just verse 1. The rest of the chapter tells me that Jesus has paid the penalty for my sin, that he took my punishment, and that God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. So consequently, that takes me to verse 9, which says, much more than having now been justified by his blood. Y'all, he's talking about us. We shall be saved from wrath through Jesus. There's no reason for the redeemed to go through the great tribulation. That's not for us. So how do we get removed? It is through what we often call the rapture and the resurrection. These are events that are specific to the church in the last days. Now, no Old Testament prophet saw the church age. They could see a lot of things happening far into the future, but they couldn't see the church age. And so the apostle Paul is the one that was given special revelation, what he often called mysteries. He was given special revelation concerning the church and the things relative to the church, which includes the rapture and the resurrection. So I'm just going to show you this. I don't know if you, how well you can see it on the screen, but this is often called the mountain peaks of prophecy. And if you'll see a prophet standing on the left, and then there's a mountaintop and a mountaintop and another one and another one and another one, and they could see the birth of Jesus. The mountaintops is what they could see. They could see the birth of Jesus. They could see Calvary. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. See, they could look ahead and they could see uh, the Antichrist. Daniel talks about him. They could, he, the, the, the prophets could see the Son of Righteousness coming, which is Jesus. They could see the kingdom of God coming. They could see the destruction of the earth by fire. They could see the holy city. They could see the new heavens and the new earth. Isaiah talks about this. But, but what they could not see, what was in the valleys between the mountain peaks. And, no, and, and, and nobody knew this. I, I, even Paul only had partial knowledge. Paul said, while the Old Testament scriptures have told us all these things, what we don't realize is that between Calvary and the Antichrist, there is a, in the valley, there's an age called the church age. Nobody could see the church, but Paul began to get revelation of the church. God taking Jews and Gentiles who absolutely hated each other redeeming them, saving them, pulling them together, and making one group called the church, the body of Christ. And nobody saw that the church age was going to last 2,000 years. And that's where we are today. So there has to be an ending of the time of the Gentiles when God restores his economy with Israel. And there also has to be an ending of the church age. So how do you do that? How do you end the church age? What do you do with the church? And that's where Paul gets this revelation that God is going to snatch away or take away the church, remove us from this world environment so that then he can carry out his wrath upon this world and he can initiate the great tribulation. So for just a little while this morning, let's talk about what will it be like in the rapture and the resurrection. Our text for this that teaches us the most is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, and it's on the screen. I just want to take you through this. When this day happens, when this moment happens, 
The Bible says, Paul says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. And as I was preparing for this, I just went through my mind. He could have sent Adam. He could send Enoch. He could send Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Job. He could send Moses. He could send Samuel. He could send one of the Old Testament prophets. He could send King David. He could send Solomon, Elijah, or Elisha. But the Bible says none of those will come. He could send one of those disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, or John. How about the Apostle Paul? I mean, he wrote all this. But no, it doesn't say that one of them is coming. He could send an angel, one of the archangels. But no, that's not what it says. On the day when the church leaves this world, the head of the church, the one who is the head and we are the body, the one who is the bride will come for his bride or the bridegroom will come for his bride the one who is the foundation will come for the church the living stones the one who is the head of the family is going to come for the rest of the brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus Christ will step over the battlements of glory on the day when he comes to catch away his saints Jesus is coming back for the church that's a reason to give him praise this morning and I love the fact that he's coming back with a shout. Now, it doesn't say what he's going to shout. He might just give a good old-fashioned southern whoop. Or he might shout something that's articulate. He may say, here I come. He might say, ready or not, here I come. I don't know that that's going to be appropriate, but he might. He's going to say something. There's going to be a shout. It just might be a shout of joy and prayer. Why do people shout? Why do we Pentecostals shout? Because we feel the Lord. We get excited. We just got to let it out. Don't you think Jesus is going to be excited? Come on. God is emotional. God has a will. God has emotional. God has a mind. Don't you think the Lord is going to be excited when the day finally comes, when he can get his people into his presence forever? But something's going to happen. It's, somebody said it's going to be a shout so loud it'll raise up the dead. I don't know, but it might be. But the Lord himself will descend from, you know, he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. But on that day, he's going to stand up and say, I'll be right back. He shall descend from heaven with a shout. And then it says that there's something else going to happen. With well, the voice of the archangel. Now, we know there are two, or at least two we're aware of. There's actually three. There's Gabriel. There's Michael. Then there's Lucifer. Well, we know it's not him. He's a fallen archangel. So that leaves Gabriel, could be Michael, could be another archangel that we don't even know about. But the voice of the archangel, now what, what, what's he going to say? Paul didn't tell us. I don't know. He might say, y'all get ready, here he comes. The bridegroom cometh. There's a little King James English there. I don't know what he's going to say. I, there's going to be, some, but there's going to be noise and shout. I know he comes like a thief in the night, but when he does come, it's going to be loud. God shouting, angels speaking something. You fill in the blank. And with a trumpet of God. Now, you know, my whole life I grew up and people were talking about Gabriel blow your horn. There's nothing in the Bible that says Gabriel blows a horn, by the way. I, somebody took liberty and license. So there is no Gabriel blowing a horn in the Bible. But you've got God 
with a trumpet sound. Now, does that mean God plays a trumpet? I don't think that's necessarily what that means. We read in the scriptures that when God speaks, it has the blast, the force of a trumpet blast. So I think it's very possible that God himself, the Father, sending the Son may be saying something as well. There's the trumpet of God. I don't know. Or it may, when he speaks to us, it will sound like a trumpet. Now, the, the guys have gone... And I used to be able, to, when I was 10, to play a trumpet just a hair. But I'm not going to pick their trumpet up. But what if I cut loose on that trumpet blast right now? Just cut loose. Chuck, Chuck, if I handed you the trumpet, could you just give us a big, loud blast? Come here, Chuck. Give me a little tiger rag. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. He played in the Clemson. Oh, which one's yours? I got the wrong one. Okay. I want you to, don't aim it at me, aim it at them. That thing's loud. I want you to give a big, strong, loud blast. Give me a high G or something. Oh, there you go. Now, wait a minute, Chuck. Can you do it one more time? Or did that put you out of breath? All right, now watch this. Amplified it. That was even more, wasn't it? Hannah, our sound person was back there pulling all the keys down. Oh, God, he's going to blow the sound system. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but that's what it says, a trumpet of God. But there's going to be a lot of noise and a lot of excitement when Jesus Christ comes back. You know, this world doesn't think it's going to happen, and a lot of them, I'm afraid a lot of people in the church have gotten, we've fallen asleep and we've gotten lazy but heaven is excited about the coming of Jesus. I think they're talking about it. I think our loved ones who in heaven are who are in heaven are talking about it. Lord, when are you coming back? When are you going to get the rest of my family? Heaven talks about it. Everybody's excited in heaven. Jesus Christ is coming back with a trumpet of God, and the Bible says what will happen when all that takes place? The dead in Christ will rise. Now I've given a lot of thought to this. And some of you I know have asked, how is this going to happen? The Bible says that when you die, your body goes back to the earth. Okay? From dust you were created to dust you return. We read that in Genesis when God created Adam, when they sinned. And your body is corruptible and it deteriorates in a, in a grave. But your spirit goes back to heaven if you're saved. To be absent from the body, Paul said, is to be present with the Lord. Paul said, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Why? Because I go to heaven. So I know that when I die, when you die, we go into the presence of the Lord. He told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. That thief got saved and died and went straight to heaven. But on the day that Jesus Christ comes back, something is going to happen and some of you are going to freak out. Your spirit is going to come down. Your body, let's say your body is in a casket six feet under. Your body is going to all of a sudden be restored and glorified. Corruptible, or rather incorruptible, not corruptible anymore. 
immortal. And it's going to dematerialize and go through that casket and through the ground and then rematerialize when it gets above the ground. And then your spirit is going to enter into that body. Oh, I know y'all right now saying, Lord, help his imagination. I don't know that it's going to happen that way, but I've given this thing thought for years. I can't figure out any other way it's going to happen. Because it says the dead in Christ will rise. It says they'll come out of the graves. And they'll come out. Now, some of you right now are saying, oh God, does that mean I'm going to come back alive in a casket? In the dark. That's not what I said. Your body is going to be in the casket and God will raise that body up out of the night. Now, he might put your spirit in the body while it's in the casket, but let's pray he doesn't. Oh, Lord, help me to move on. So one of those things are going to happen, then it's going to come through. But let me just help you with it. Some of you are going, huh, really? It's going to happen so fast. I'll get to that in a minute. It's going to, be in, it's going to happen so fast, you're not even going to know it. By the time it happens, you're going to be soaring through the clouds in your new body and be in the presence of Jesus. It's going to be so fast. It won't, it's going to be quick, y'all. You're not even going to realize it. And so, and so those who have died in the Lord suddenly will be reunited with a glorified body and be in the clouds with the Lord. That's what's going to happen. It's going to be a resurrection. Just like Jesus' spirit came back into his body. You know, his body, three days been laid. There was decay. There was deterioration. But his body was restored. He comes out, and it was a glorified body. And then it says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Now that caught up, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Rapture means to be caught up in something. I'm always thinking of the Wizard of Oz, the Cowardly Lion said, or no, maybe in the Scarecrow, but, oh joy, oh rapture. <laughs> Let's go watch it. Next step. From now on, you'll see it. That great God, he was preaching this, the Scarecrow and the Wizard of Oz. It, oh joy, oh rapture. And, and rapture means to be caught up in something. You caught up in something wonderful. And so because it says caught up, somebody said it's a rapture moment, a caught up moment, and then that's stuck all these years, and that's where it comes from. But in the Greek, it means to be violently snatched up. I'm going to tell you, when Jesus Christ comes back, and our loved ones in a split second have been reunited with their bodies and gone back to heaven, the Lord is going to take us out of here and he's going to glorify your body in a split second. And he's going to defy the laws of gravity that he created and the force of gravity. And you're going to be snatched up. And immediately you'll leave this world and we'll be with our loved ones. And there'll be millions upon millions upon that will fill the skies in that moment. In the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Give him praise for this glorious hope. That's our hope. And you know, I sure hope I'm living when the rapture takes place. 
If I die, that's fine. That's going to be even better, being in the presence of the Lord. But won't it be cool to just start flying up? I heard some preacher one time get extravagant, and he said, I hope that I'm one of the last ones, and it's slow. He said, because I'm going to grab a couple sinners by the collar, and as I'm going up, I'm going to say, you better repent. And I don't know. I think that's pushing it a little bit. I think that's pushing it a little bit. What is the rapture and the resurrection about? It's about change. It's a change of location from earth to heaven. John 14 very much correlates with 1 Thessalonians 4. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions is what a lot of us learned. It's, it's really better translated rooms. My house has rooms. Does your house? And, and so the, the King James they, I don't know why they did that, but the better translation is rooms. In my father's house, can y'all imagine how big God's house is? It's massive. In my father's, and, and he said, if it were not so, I would have told you, but it is so. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you. You have a place waiting on you in the Father's house. There's a room with your name on it. Now, I don't know. I think that my room will reflect me. What does that mean? I like blue. My room will be in blue. It will be colorful. There will be a 120-inch screen TV. I will have room service to barbecue direct line from my room. Smoking pig, that's right. There'll be one in heaven. I don't know anymore, but all I know is it'll be a king-size bed. All the men say amen, and no pillows on my bed. <laughs> Leah's over there going, oh, God. We got them on the couch. We got them on the chairs. We got them on the bed. It's a wonder they're not in the car seat. That would be a good idea, put pillows in the car Listen, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come. If I've gone all the trouble to get a place ready for you, I will come again. Don't you doubt his coming. He said it. It's one thing if Chris the Star says it, but it's another thing if Jesus said it. I will come again, and I'll receive you unto myself. That's the rapture. That's the resurrection. Do you see it? I'll receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What do you think God wants the most? 
He wants to be with you. Does that make you feel good? He wants to be with you. Not just in spirit, right right now. He wants physically to be with you. And it's going to happen. It's about change. It's also about a change of your physical body. Let me, let me go quickly here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 53. This is on the screen. Is that verse, do we have that verse? 1 Corinthians 15? We may not have that. All right, let me read it to you. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood, flesh and blood, what we have, what we live in now, this corruptible, mortal flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Something's got to change. Watch this now. Get that word in your mind. Behold, Paul said, I'm going to tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That's talking about death. But we shall all be Anybody know the verse? Changed. Something's going to happen to us. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Bat your eye. That's fast. But if you bat it without thinking, it's faster. It's faster. In a split second, you're going to be changed. It's going to happen so fast, but it'll be wonderful. In a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trumpet. We just talked about what? The trumpet of God. See it all, all ties together? Watch this. For the trumpet will sound. That's saying Jesus is coming back. And the dead will be raised incorruptible. Can I just stop right here and preach and some of y'all get excited? No more cancer. No more heart disease. No more high blood pressure. No more high cholesterol, no more kidney failure, no more aches and pains, no more arthritis. Come on, somebody. No more partial knee replacements, no more back problems, no more migraines, no more depression, no more anxiety. I feel a shout about to get on me. My God, I wish my knee was good. No more depression, no more anxiety, no more stress, no more bunions. <laughs> Come on, somebody. This body will be incorruptible. For this, this, this body, it's, it says that the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. It's all about change. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. You will never die again. Right now, death is the specter. Right now, death is the enemy. Right now, death is the fear. Honestly, some people fear death. It's amazing. You, you meet a lot of Christians, though, they'll say, you know, I'm not really afraid to die. Why? Because they understand that death is no longer the enemy it once was. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Jesus took care of that 2,000 years ago when he came out of that grave. So now it's not the end, it's just the transition from one place to another. And once it happens, it's like the stinger that comes out of a bee. Once a bee has stung you one time, his stinger's gone. And he can buzz around all he wants, but he can't sting you anymore. And I'm telling you, once you have immortality, death will never touch you again. It's lost its sting. Now somebody ought to get excited about that. 
That's the victory we have in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? So what will a glorified body be like? I, I have to go to Jesus' resurrection body to give me that understanding. And I can do that safely because 1 John 3, 2 says that my body will be like Jesus' glorified, resurrected body. So read 1 John 3, 2. We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's 1 John 3, 2. So what could Jesus do? Jesus could go through walls and lock doors without opening them. He could dematerialize and then materialize in another room. That's cool. I'm going to have fun with that one. I'm going to be gooching people till the Lord will have to say, son, stop that. It's not why I did it. I'm sorry, but I have said that for years. I just think that would be the cool thing. I just sneak up behind somebody's material. Go! Then disappear. It's amazing because we have a body that's not like this. It doesn't have the, it doesn't have the physi physiological limitations like our present bodies. I think you can transport instantly from one location to another. Jesus did that. So if, now to be more serious, in your leadership role, if there is a council or a calling of all the world leaders who are all glorified saints in Jerusalem, then you could tell your secretary, I'll be right back, and then immediately translate from here to Jerusalem and sit in the meeting, and when it's done, translate back to Anderson instead of getting on a plane and flying however many hours across the Atlantic and the Mediterranean. See, you say, Pastor, you're crazy. No, you're just used to living in, in, a, in a box. You spent your whole life living in a little physiological fleshly box. But the scriptures give us just enough to see God blows that box out to make us something we can hardly understand. You'll be able to move, I think, from heaven to earth and back again. I believe that. I don't think it'll just be transglobal, but I think it'll be... <laughs> And celestial. You'll be able to eat. Some of you folks are saying hallelujah. There will be cat head biscuits in the millennial reign. Jesus ate, didn't he? So we'll be able to eat. I think we'll be able to process incredible Bible knowledge and spiritual wisdom. I think we'll know things. I know some of y'all say, I, sometimes people, are, and they're kind, and I understand. People say, man, I wish I knew the Bible like you did. I understand why you're saying that, but one day you will. You'll know the better Bible, better than me. I think God will en enhance us that we will understand theology and the scriptures and salvation. We'll, we'll have this understanding and wisdom. Why? Not so we can all be a bunch of smart people, but so that we can teach the nations in the millennial reign. Because there will be unsaved people here. And there will be saved people who got saved during the tribulation. And it will be our job to educate them. Isn't that cool? I think we will possess amazing leadership capabilities. Because we will be the ones. The Bible says we will be priests and kings and rule and reign with him for a thousand years. So priests will teach the word. 
let kings lead and rule. And I've tried to tell you this for years, and if I preach on the millennial reign, then I'll, we'll talk about this. But everybody in here who's saved, you will be in charge of a municipality or a county seat or a state or, a, or some form of government, some area of government, maybe a nation. But you will be in charge. No more corrupt politicians. No more blue tape, red tape rather. No more, no more political strings and you get told no because you don't know all the right people. You will be the right people. That's good preaching right there. It's 11 after 11. I'm going to try to just, just see if I can wrap this up. There is, we could sit here and surmise and talk about things all day, and I, the time does not permit, so I have, I'm having to be selective when I talk about the rapture and the resurrection. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be glorious. But for those who are sinful, it is going to be absolutely horrible, and I'm going to move quickly. When the rapture takes place, the instant disappearance of millions of people worldwide will baffle the nations, and they will come up with crazy theories to try to explain, and probably the number one is we've all been abducted by aliens. That'll probably be the one. But for those who are left on earth, it will be horrible. I, I have thought about spouses who are not saved, who will, on the day of the rapture, realize my wife, my husband is gone, and they'll not see them again. I still believe that children will go up in the rapture. And parents who are not saved, whose godly grandmother took those kids to church because their parents were too selfish, too sinful, and too slack to get saved and take the spiritual responsibility for their kids will scream and grieve and wail and moan and cry because their children will be gone. And they'll be left. And every parent who loves their child can only imagine what that day would be like. It's not going to be good. This church will be filled to capacity. We've got a big crowd in here today. But on the day the rapture takes place, if the doors are locked, somebody will just take a pickup and run right through the front doors, knock them down, and there will be hundreds, maybe thousands in this building, people screaming and in the altars and crying and yelling, and it will be pandemonium, and they will be screaming, God, no, don't leave me. I'm sorry, God. I'll live for you. Please forgive me. Please forgive me, God. There'll be a lot of people screaming for repentance that day, but the problem is it will be too late. He said, but can I get saved? Absolutely. You can still get saved. Lots of people to get saved, but now you have to go through the tribulation. And you have to go through it without, when Satan is going to take over all of this world and evil will take over everything. And you want to talk about being the minority, the persecuted minority, and yet it's very possible, very likely, you'll have, you'll have to become a martyr for Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, I don't believe in that nonsense. That's fine. Believe what you want to. But you know the Bible talks about you. Do we have this verse? First Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. Knowing this first, that scoffers, 
That's you. If you're watching online, that's you. The Bible talks about you. Scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. See, you're more concerned about what you want than God, what God wants. And saying, ah, oh, come on, where is the promise of his coming? Chris is star, you get him to preach about the rapture and he's coming. Where, where is it? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have from the beginning of creation. They were talking about this when my great-grandfather was alive. They were talking about this, preaching this when my grandfather was alive. They were preaching this when my daddy was in. When I was a kid in church, they talked about this. Well, my daddy and mom have already died and gone into heaven, and I'm 50-something, I'm 40-something, and I'm still, it, he hadn't come back yet. You're right, he hasn't. But he will. Just because he hasn't come in any of those generations doesn't mean he won't come in this generation. But if he doesn't come in your generation, you don't want to die in your sins. You want to die ready. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. That's Christmas. That's the Christmas story. To those who eagerly Wait for him. Are you, are you eagerly waiting for Jesus to come back? To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time. Apart from sin for salvation. He came the first time to open up a new living way to God. To pay the penalty for our sins. We sang some of the songs today, sang that message so beautifully. But he's coming the second time to consummate our salvation. You know, I've taught this for years. It's so simple, but it helps me. I have been justified. I'm being sanctified. That's a lifelong process. But one day I will be glorified when it's all said and done. I want you to stand with me this morning. The early church had a saying, and this is in the Bible. The early church had a saying, and it went like this, Maranatha. Everybody say Maranatha. Maranatha in the Greek means, it's a Greek word. It means, oh, Lord, come. It's a prayer to Jesus. Oh, Lord, come. They said it all the time. They said it in church services. They said it to one another, Maranatha. They were reminding each other constantly and saying to one another and together to the Lord, we want Jesus to come. Oh, Lord, come. I just, I'm telling you high praises. And I don't know how many people are going to watch this that don't go to our church. A lot of people watch. Those of you who are watching online right now, but listen to me. Listen to me. We got to get back to living every day saying, oh, Lord, would you come today? Would you, I'm going to live my life. I've got some business deals. I'm working on my education. I'm earning my degree. I'm dating this wonderful person. I think we're going to get married. We're going to start a family. Wonderful. Do all those things, but live every day, every day, saying, but Lord, this isn't as good as it gets. Oh, Lord, come. Y'all read the news? Y'all see what's happening in our own country? Oh, you ought to be praying every day. Oh, God, please come and get us out of here. Get us out of here. Is that escapism? All right, call it that if you want. It's not, I'm, I might be escaping from some things, but boy, I got something good waiting on the other side. So I think there's a little bit more to it than sheer escapism. 
It ought to be the heartbeat of the church. Let me say something to you and you grab a hold of this. Grab a hold of this. Jesus Christ is coming back for an expectant people. You plan to go. That's right. Give him praise. If you plan to go, you ought to be expecting him. I think that's why the Lord's Prayer says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And the first thing you say to him is, Your kingdom come. Because the only way for the kingdom to come is for him to come. I want to ask you a question. If Jesus came right I have preached the word of the Lord. I have tried to describe to you something that I feel very confident is going to happen. And I believe it could happen at any time. But if it happened right now, are you ready to go? If you're not, there's good news. Jesus died on a cross came out of a tomb in resurrection power three days later showed himself alive and then went back to heaven and he is a living savior and the Bible says that if you'll just put your faith in what he did what did he do? he died in your place he paid the penalty for your sinfulness the wrath of God that ought to be on you right now Jesus took on himself. He was wounded for your transgressions, bruised for your iniquities. The punishment that could bring you peace with God, guess what? It was placed on him. And if you could just put your faith in, the Bible says that by grace you are saved through faith. What's my faith? I'm just trusting and putting my confidence in what Jesus did for me and letting it be the way that I'm made right with God. And I receive it as a free gift from God. It's grace. I don't have to work for it. You don't deserve it anyway. It's a gift. What you deserve is hell, punishment. But what he'll give you is grace. He'll give you forgiveness. He'll give you cleansing. He'll give you sonship, daughtership. You become a child of God. He'll justify you. He'll change you. He'll clean you up. He'll make you somebody you're supposed to be. I said, Pastor, what do I do? Just believe? and then pray and admit you're a sinner and say, God, I believe what Pastor Chris just said, what the Bible says, I believe what you did for me and I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I want to lead this church in a sinner's prayer because I believe right now there could be one or two or three or four or five people, some here, some watching online, that right now will say, Pastor, I want to get right with God. I don't want to miss the rapture. I want to be right with God. I want to, live, I want to be right with God now. I don't want to just not go to hell and go to heaven. I want to be right with God. I want my life changed. We'd all pray with me right now. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins. I don't want to be this way anymore. I'm so sorry. I believe that Jesus died 
rose again. He's the only way that I can be saved. Please forgive me. Take my sins away. Come into my heart. Take over my life. I repent of my sins. I turn my back on sins. I'm not going to be sinful anymore. But by your power, I'm going to live for you. I confess you as my Savior. I proclaim right now that you are my Lord and my leader. And I thank you for saving me. Thank you for doing this for me. I don't deserve it, but I receive it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, say this with faith. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. And I know that I am. In Jesus' name, amen. Can the church give God praise by faith that some people gave their life to the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.